Thank you for tuning in to the Mile 40 podcast. I am Beshoy Tadros, the author of Break Barriers and Audacious, both of which are sold on Amazon. And I invite you to join me as I engage with guests to discuss those bounce back moments that we encounter on our personal journey. Mile 40 is a forum to learn about how athletes, professionals, and leaders of all backgrounds stare down moments in life where the only option is to rise up. The Mile 40 podcast strives to remind listeners that the comeback is always greater than the setback. I threw on an old volleyball sweatshirt and sprinted down the three or four flights of stairs outside of my dorm and ran for about, I don't know, 14 seconds until I couldn't run anymore. I collapsed in the grass and I looked up at the stars and just knew that I needed to change my life. Mile 40 is back, and I would be lying if I said I was not geeking out today. The reason for that is because I have a very special guest on, and the truth of the matter is, I don't think she even knows this, her show was the very first show that I've ever listened to. I was very resistant to podcasts for a very long time when they first came out, and I got introduced to her via a mutual friend. She had told me about what her show was, what she was trying to put together. We had aligned and found a couple different synergies to the point where when Break Barriers was released, I couldn't have thought of anyone else to be on there, uh, up on stage with me, kind of walking me through the narrative in front of everybody else out there. And this is just coming full circle for me. So without further ado, I am very excited to share that today's guest is Emily Abate. Emily is the host of Hurdle podcast. But just to give you a little bit more background, she's a connector on a mission to empower women to live healthier, happier, and more motivated lives. She's now a nine-time marathoner, a triathlete, and she's a veteran wellness journalist. She's a former fitness editor at Self Magazine. She wasn't always kickstarting her days with runs around Central Park or leading workouts on Good Morning America. She had went through a dramatic transformation in college. I'm sure we're going to dip into that. But more so than any of the things that she's kind of had on her bullet list with regards to her resume, she is the ultimate ambassador for somebody who has just been an example out there for men and women alike, Emily, on how to lead a holistic lifestyle. So thank you for joining me today. Thank you so much for having me. I'm happy to be here. The kind words are super appreciated. So honestly, not really sure where to begin. I've known you for a couple of years now. Obviously, I've been following along with regards to the show and been following along on your fitness journey and, and just watching you just absolutely crush the running paths of New York. And I look up to you, not only as a runner, but just as a person and how you built your platform. But let's kind of talk a little bit about where things began for you. Let's talk a little about um, you know, where you grew up. I know that on your platform, you share a lot about your dad in particular. And you know, I've never met the man, but for some reason, I just feel drawn to his energy, even though you know, I don't know much about him other than what you share. So let's talk a little about you know, how things started. Yeah, for sure. So I born and raised in Trumbull, Connecticut. I went to the University of Connecticut. Uh, I have one older brother who lives in Fort Lauderdale. And from a young age, I always knew that I was going to be a journalist. So definitely had a passion for writing at UConn. I studied journalism and political science, thought about being a lawyer, but knew that I wanted that Sarah Jessica Parker kind of life. So me trying to be my ultimate Carrie Bradshaw led me down a path of 
internships within the journalism industry. My first ever internship was at Fitness Magazine, my next internship at the Hartford Current, and finished things off by getting my first full-time job at a company called Cafe Mom, where I worked for their woman's lifestyle blog at the time, which was called The Stir. Worked at The Stir for a few years, got my next job, first job working in fitness editorial at Rodale, and then moved from Rodale to Self Magazine, where, as you mentioned, I was the fitness editor and left working for someone else completely in 2016 when I started my journey as a freelance journalist. That journey led me to working on my bylines bucket list, so to speak. So I'm continuously checking publications off of that, but it also led me to my journey as a podcaster. I started hurdle at the top part of 2018 on literally January 1st slash December 31st of 2017. And now we are approaching five years of hurdle and it feels like it has happened in the blink of an eye, but also that I've been living in this purpose on purpose for so long now. So, so excited about that. And again, so happy to be here. That is incredible. And she's being a little modest because Hurdle recently broke 7 million downloads. And I had read the post that you shared when you got in front of a room of what was it 500 people shared your intentions? What was it five years ago? And I don't remember exactly what your goal was that year, but I'm sure you never saw 7 million (laughs) coming at that point. So I want to talk a little bit about perhaps if manifestation ever came into play here, you know, back when uh, you were at self or even in college at that point, and we know a lot has happened that we'll dive into, but did you ever envision being someone to run the stage or, you know, be on a mic and, and kind of be the face of, of a platform? I don't know if I ever really envisioned being the face of a platform. I think what I did envision was being a proud connector. I am the kind of person who really, really values my personal relationships. And I know that professionally leveraging my relationships was what really helped me stay afloat during some of the most difficult times in my career. You know, I mentioned a few of those transitions and those transitions, at least two of them, were not by choice. Publishing is a difficult industry. And so for me in publishing, being let go from my job to no fault of mine, but just a byproduct of company layoffs, that was really challenging. And I was able to leverage the relationships that I had to get new opportunities. And so I am so grateful that I can connect others to hopefully find their own opportunity, right? And bigger than that, I certainly thought that uh, speaking in front of groups of people from a young age would be a part of what I do. When I was super young, I won like a local personality contest. There's like no better way to put that. And so as a part of that uh, winning, I was traveling around the state speaking in front of groups of people. And then come my, you know, 12th grade year of high school, I was the president in my regional youth group running board meetings in front of hundreds of young women and then on Panhellenic Council in college. So for me, 
being a leader was something that I always knew was a part of me. And being now at the forefront of the community, I call my listeners hurdlers. So being at the forefront of the hurdler community is something that I don't take lightly and something that I really, really treasure with all of my being. That's incredible. Do you ever battle any sort of imposter syndrome, you know, when it comes to that? Because, um, you know, one thing that I can kind of say is as the stages get bigger, you know, as good of a speaker as you may be, there's still that intimidation factor of like, okay, I, I did 10 people and then I did 50 people and then I did 100 people. But now here's a thousand people. And how did I end up in front of a thousand people? Do, do, does that still run through your mind? I would be remiss if I didn't say that it does. But I also am at a place now where I own it and I step into the scenario. I know that once I am on that stage, there is no room for us both. There is no room for imposter syndrome and what I need to go up there and get done. So I consciously work quite often on navigating whatever feelings may arise that trigger that place of imposter syndrome and believe and stand firmly in the fact that everything I've done up until this point has brought me to this point. And I am a qualified expert in my field and I wouldn't be at these tables on these stages if I hadn't earned this opportunity. Absolutely. And, you know, aside from everything we've spoken about so far, you know, I didn't mention that you are a certified run coach and trainer. So not only are you, you know, kind of uh, certified on the, the speaking and the writing front, you know, based on everything that you've done so far, but you you've been out there on the field, you've been working directly with people, athletes um, of all backgrounds and kind of helping them get to where they want to be. Um, but one thing that we do know, and I think maybe we can kind of back into it a little bit. Why don't you tell us about Hurdle in the sense of what your image was when you started and maybe what it has evolved to? And then we'll take that and we'll go into your background and some of the things that you've been through. Yeah. I mean, when I started Hurdle, I was working as a full-time freelance journalist, like I said, kind of going down my bylines bucket list. And at the time... I knew that I wanted to own something and that every single day I was working on content, reporting to editors from all different publications. And I knew that I wanted to create something that I didn't have to report to anyone else but myself to work on. And kind of through a few different veins, I ended up concepting and creating Hurdle. And for me, it was a really fun side project at the time. I, like I said, manifestation is certainly something that is present in my life, but I did not ever envision that I would be essentially a full-time podcaster. That was just not on my radar when I started the show. So I certainly think that going along with the show and working on the show over the last few years, as I've navigated some of that imposter syndrome, I've really grown into who I am today. You know, you mentioned 
those certifications of being a run coach and a certified trainer, something that isn't lost on me is that I have an audience now and I have the opportunity to help people. And so on that journey, as someone who has prided herself in getting these relevant certifications, I decided in uh, the middle of this year that I wanted to become a certified professional coach because if I was going to be speaking to the masses, so to speak, I wanted to do so responsibly. And so I'm about two and a half months out now from finishing that certification, but it's super intense. I mean, I'm doing four to five hours of work for it every week. There are three different three-day modules that go from 9 a.m. to 7 p.m. There are exams and, you know, so many skills that I have to master and lessons to learn along the way. But I do it because not only do I truly feel like I've stepped into my purpose doing this work, but I've learned so much about who I am and the opportunity to help others. And so who I am today is truly, again, going back to that word connector, but bigger than that, I am someone who truly hopes to live every day knowing that I'm acting on my purpose. And my purpose, as I say at the beginning of every show, is to empower others to live healthier, happier, more motivated lives in whatever way that looks like for them, right? Like my holistic wellness snapshot is going to look different than your holistic wellness snapshot, which is going to look different than the next person. So if we can have grace with ourselves along the way to figuring out exactly what that looks like for us, then I'm so happy to not only be a witness to your journey, but then also do whatever I can to, again, empower you on yours. That's so well said. And, you know, it just kind of resonates with the fact that you really have taken a, a whole mind and body approach. This is not just about running and, and, and you know, what's performed out there physically, but it really is about connecting the dots with who you are as a person. And, you know, I, I can only imagine what you must be kind of diving into as you go through this coaching certification, learning about, you know, what channels the mind of individuals, how they've been conditioned, the things that they've picked up at younger ages and how they impact the decisions that they make now. And that just gives you a whole different skill set to kind of dive into the mind behind um, a lot of the people that you work with. I want to shift gears a little bit and, and kind of still kind of talk about hurdle a little bit in the sense that with a lot of your guests, you drill down on their quote unquote hurdle moments. And, um, you know, some people have a moment in life where things kind of you know, change, there was a snap and and all of a sudden uh, a different trajectory was taken. And then other people talk about just kind of the anticipation of one hurdle after the other. And that's very much in line with what we do here at Mile 40. You know, we talk about those pit to peak moments in life and we talk about the lessons that we've learned on, on that trajectory upwards. I want to dive into your story personally and talk about where there was maybe a wake up moment for you with regards to uh, this change in direction toward building the platform that you've built now. Yeah. I mean, as we kind of talk about the hurdle moments on the show, it has become increasingly apparent to me that there are no failures or mistakes. There are only lessons. And one of the biggest lessons that I learned in my life was that I am worthy of my own investment. If we rewind back to college, my freshman year, I lived uh, in 
a dorm at the University of Connecticut and it was spring semester when I made the decision to procrastinate working on a term paper or studying for a final or whatever I was doing and get on a scale knowing damn well that I was not happy in my body. Not only was I not happy with what I saw in the mirror, but that was bigger than what was going on on the outside. That was really rooted on what I saw or felt, excuse me, on the inside. My self-talk was absolutely despicable. I would be so ashamed if that was on a megaphone for others to hear. And so I stepped on a scale that night, saw a number that was way over 200 pounds and made me super uncomfortable standing at five foot four. I just knew that I needed to make a change for me to get healthier, both physically and mentally. And so that night I threw on an old volleyball sweatshirt and sprinted down the three or four flights of stairs outside of my dorm and ran for about, I don't know, 14 seconds until I couldn't run anymore. I collapsed in the grass and I looked up at the stars and just knew that I needed to change my life. And so it really started right there. And then, and over the next about three or so years, maybe two and a half years, I lost a lot of weight, but more importantly, I was able to understand again, that value of investing in myself during that time. I learned how to eat better. I, for the first time did talk therapy. And I also navigated the transition into becoming a runner. Running was something that from a young age, I was made to believe that I would never, ever excel at. I didn't make the volleyball team in high school because I couldn't run a mile in under 10 minutes, which just tell me why those two things go hand in hand. I am unsure. I probably like failed the presidential physical fitness test. Like I was just always made to feel like running and I were not ever supposed to really mesh. Yet running was the thing that did during that big time of transition and still to this day, truly save me and teach me. Running has been my teacher. It's been the thing that has empowered me to be a better me. And so I today couldn't be more grateful for that hurdle moment because, again, it taught me that really beautiful and valuable lesson of investing in self and knowing that that classic saying, if you don't put your oxygen mask on first, then you can't help others. And as someone who truly hopes that she can make a profound impact on others, there's no other option. Now, I know the story doesn't stop there, but I want to take a pause really quick and ask, those three years, how lonely were those three years? I imagine, you know, you had that, you went out for that run, you realized, okay, like I, the switch kind of flipped. Uh, you probably at first didn't even know how to uh, kind of go about it. And then you started to see progress as you went along. But um, you mentioned going to talk therapy, talk therapy, excuse me. But aside from that, even, even the idea of going to talk therapy, um, it's not something you probably openly talk about unless you did. Maybe let me let me let me re- redirect it at you. Was this something that you were talking about with people um, publicly or was this a journey you were taking on on your own? I think it was a little bit of both. I mean, flashback to when this was going on in 2007, 2008, like the scope of us talking about things was very different. I mean, yeah. I had a Facebook and that's about it. So in terms of like the Emily I am today, it was a very different, I'm going to talk about this. My close friends definitely knew that I had a vested interest in shifting my lifestyle. And actually from 
you know, the, that night when I made the decision to invest in myself, I would say that it really just went up from there in terms of how I started to feel in my body and then how I presented to others. So in the following fall, about four or five months into this journey was when I made the decision to pledge a sorority. And suddenly I was surrounded by a lot of women who actually made me feel very supported and like unconditionally loved, despite the fact that like I was learning how to love myself. And some of those women are still my closest friends to this day. So I would say that for me, that journey uh, was a lot less lonely than I expected. And that was large in part because I was finally willing to talk about what I had been navigating on my own for yeah. so many years. When you mentioned that sorority um, and, and the impact that they had on you, at that point, were you seeking out an environment of, of people who would elevate you? Or did that just kind of happen and, you know, worked out in, in a good way? Um, you know, what yeah. I mean, about? as I, um, as I mentioned before, I was like president of a high yeah. school youth group that was essentially like a sorority for high school teenagers. So it was never a doubt in my mind that Greek life might be a good fit for me. My brother was in a fraternity. He also went to UConn. And so I knew that rushing right when I got there freshman year wasn't going to be in the cards for me, but by the time sophomore year came around, I was certainly more open to it. And I knew instantly when I was checking out all the houses and going through all of the events that you go through when you're interested in getting into the Greek life scene, especially at UConn, that it was going to be a really good decision for me and really provide a foundation for getting involved in other things around campus. I mean, outside of Greek life in college, I was also super, super active at the school paper, not only as the editor of what we called our focus se section, which was arts and entertainment, but then also like I delivered the paper. Like That's I amazing. was a super like busy employed member of the student body. And then like extend that to like the, you know, working for Panhellenic and like on that board of women that oversees all of the Greek organizations. Like it was just, I couldn't get more involved if I had wanted to. That's awesome. This is, it's like a bar stool story. It's, it's essentially, how, <laughs> essentially how that started. So we, we talked about the importance of, of running and how you picked up on it early on. Let's talk about, you know, the transition from running to kind of, um, as kind of a way to move forward from that realization and how it transitioned into where you are today as a nine time marathoner. Um, because that's, that's a pretty drastic, you know, lift, if you will. I, I mean, I can remember when I first started and I can remember, you know, being terrified at my first 5k and then terrified at my first half marathon and so on and so forth to my first marathon. I want to learn a little bit about, you know, your competitive running journey and how that started. Yeah, I, I didn't really get competitive, so to speak, with myself when it came to running until the last few years, like maybe 2019. So I started running, I would say in 2009, I believe I ran my first full marathon in 2014. So between 2009 and 2014, there were a handful of half marathons. I obviously started by running a half mile, then a mile, then a 5k, like everybody else. And then 
being equally as scared on the day that I clicked register for my first half as I was on the day I clicked register for my first full. My first full was in Hartford, Connecticut. And then since then, uh, to date, I actually believe I might be on marathon number 11, Uh, 10 uh, or uh, 11. I need to update Someone's website needs to get updated. (laughs) Yeah. So I, uh, but yeah, I mean, I never envisioned when I started running that it would be anything more than a tool for me to just like move my body and learn how to feel good in my body. And it has truly transitioned into, I mean, for lack of a better designation, like my exhale, right? It it helps me do everything from cope through moments of difficulty to celebrate moments of joy to travel and see the world. I've run marathons in London and in Dublin, and I have a marathon in Paris on deck and then hopefully Berlin and Tokyo soon after that. So for me, running is truly what has enabled me to be a better version of myself. And then it's also been going back to this theme of connection, a huge connector for me, both within my adult personal relationships, IRL, the New York running community is truly something special and fantastic. But then also many of my listeners also identify as runners, they love running. So for me, it's a fun way to connect with them too. Do you have a running moment that sticks out to you, you know, for better or for worse, whether it was one where you completely broke down or one that, you know, you just kind of had tears of joy? Yeah, uh, we, I literally was just talking to Kira D'Amato about this like an hour ago. Uh, My favorite running memory of my entire life is the 2019 Chicago Marathon, because during that race, I kind of discovered a level of potential that I didn't even know that I had. In 2019, I uh, got what we call to be a BQ, which is a Boston qualifying time. It was something that I never even dreamed of. Like I never even had that hope or dream. So to run that time in Chicago after what had been a really difficult year for me, uh, emotionally, uh, it was just truly special to see what I was capable of and what could happen when I really put in the work. And so, uh, that without a doubt is one of the most special memories I have running. Chicago is a special race. I, I I just ran it this year. And and similarly, it was one of those races that kind of, it, the co- it's a great course, but it was one of yeah. those races that kind of speaks to if you put the work in, you know, you could really see the results. To be honest, I thought you were going to say Boston when you ran it in the rain. Uh, I don't know if that's a, that's a special memory. I mean, it's a memory <laughs> for sure. I, I feel like I've blocked out half of that, half of that day, but being able to run that race is clearly a really special opportunity. And I just happened to snag that opportunity on a day that had 30 to 40 mile an hour wind gusts and hail and downpours. So, you know, I'm just as proud as that Boston of that Boston time as I am of any of my other times. I know that for me, that was a day where I really gritted it out and I'm better for it. I love it. I want to talk a little bit about your community and, and how you kind of do your outreach to them in particular. I am sure there are a lot of people out there who are in a similar spot as 2007 Emily. Um, And your community is wide because as much as you have those people, you also have the seasoned runners out there and the people who are now kind of competing at the highest levels and connecting with you as well. How do you handle bridging the gap knowing that now your community is so kind of wide, not only in terms of experience, but in terms of just where they are in their journey? 
you know, whether it's how you consider the, the guests that you bring on your show or how you tailor your events, what's running through your mind in, in terms of how you build your platform to outreach towards people at these different stages? Yeah. I mean, the reality is, is that you will never be a person for everyone. And if you try to be a person for everyone, then you're doing something wrong. You'll be a person for no one. And so what I have really done over the last few years is transition from creating content for the masses to creating content like for what is my niche audience, recognizing that other people will be interested in the content, but that doesn't mean that I have to create it for those other people. So whereas like 85% of my audience is women, there are still 15% of men that regularly listen to Hurdle, right? Like it's just part of how the cookie crumbles. So for me, being really clear and sure of who she is down to like where she might shop, where she lives, what her like life might look like in terms of like how much money she's making. I mean, these are things that I have to think about when it also comes to bringing sponsors onto the show. I mean, I only work with brands that I have worked with typically before they contact me. And by worked with, I mean that I have like chosen to use myself. So I was using Athletic Greens for about a year and a half before I ever had a conversation with someone from Athletic Greens. And now AG1 from Athletic Greens is my longest standing sponsor on the show. I'm obsessed with my eight sleep mattress topper. I've been using it now for, I want to say maybe two and a half years, two years at least. And they just came on as a sponsor recently. So for me, it's like, I want to make sure that not only, you know, from that sponsorship stuff side of things that the brands I'm bringing in align with who she is. But then of course, to your point, the content that I'm creating, I want to make sure that that aligns with who she is. And really that's just asking myself, like if I was to have this conversation with a friend, what is it that we're going to talk about and who would we want to hear from? And so being really intentional with the people that I ask to come on the show and knowing that I'm doing the best I can with what I have as the days progress, right? Like sometimes there are going to be episodes that are, you know, more listened to than others. But at the end of the day, like no matter if you're at the beginning of your wellness journey, like 2007, Emily, or you are like knee deep in the thick of it and you've been living and breathing this life for a long time, we have an opportunity to learn from every single person that we come into contact with. And just because someone may be a veteran in their field doesn't mean that they don't have lessons that other people who may consider themselves to be veterans as well can learn from. I thought it was so fun today. I mentioned speaking with Kira D'Amato earlier and Kira was saying that when she got into her quote unquote round two, her second renaissance of running, that she started with running three minutes, walking three minutes. And at that time, she could barely run for the whole three minutes. Keep in mind, this is now a woman who did at one point hold the American woman's record for the marathon. So to hear something like that, it's refreshing and it is really, you know, important for us to be able to come back to that fact. Like I said, that we have the opportunity to learn from everyone you just have to be willing to listen. You're so spot on. And that's really the beauty of, of these platforms is you are bringing in people who talk about their journeys at different points and they talk about 
you know, how they reacted, what the stimulus was and and really the lessons learned. And it really does vary. And, you know, kudos to you for identifying where your audience is and, and kind of sticking to your guns around, you know, how to proceed with it. And, and that kind of takes me into my next set of questions, if you will, around, we talked about what kicked off your your running journey and and, and your journey toward fitness. But I'm sure building hurdle didn't come without hurdles. And so let's talk a little bit about that. Let's talk about the decision to become an entrepreneur. Let's talk about about the ups and downs of um, building the platform um, and and some of the bigger lessons learned, kind of like the one you just shared. Let's go to the beginning. Let's go back toward around 2017. You had decided yeah. now, you know, you're going to kind of dive into this platform. And for the the guests out there listening, excuse me, the audience out there listening. I actually met Emily right before uh, she dove in in, in 2017, and, and she was sharing the idea of Hurdle with me. And you know, as you could probably tell, there's a lot of synergies in in terms of the basis of the stories that we share on 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 our episodes. Um, but again, where you were in 2017 is not where you are today. So um, let's talk about that. Yeah, I mean, building anything is challenging, right? And I think I was and have truly been just such a sponge from day one. I remember that someone told me the best thing that I could do was just talk to as many people as possible and ask them for all their tips, all their takeaways, put my ego to the side. It didn't matter, right? So I literally just started asking for meetings and asking people if I could take them for coffee. And so I'd say the first lesson I learned early on is that in order to do something well, you've got to talk to a lot of other people who also do something well. And again, going back to that lesson that I shared a few minutes ago, that we have the opportunity to learn from anyone as long as you're willing to listen. We learn by listening. We don't learn by speaking. And so using that sentiment, I then went on to start the journey and I really did it in, let's call it like a lean startup kind of way, right? I took the lessons that I had learned from everyone I asked to have meetings with me. And soon enough, I had a podcast in the iTunes store and I was just learning and taking feedback as it came. I remember, I believe episode two is with a mentor of mine. His name's Fred Santarpia. And he said to me something I'll, I'll never forget, which was, if you don't have a plan B, then you don't have a plan. And so I think about that often and think about the things that I want and recognize that there are like aim smart goals. Like there is something that is acceptable and there's something that is maximal. And oftentimes like what happens is like something in between and knowing that as long as you keep pushing forward, you're always making positive progress. Something else that Fred told me, I remember is he like kind of critiqued our, our conversation and he told me like, Hey, like, I love that you did this. I didn't love this. And like, he was one of the only people literally in like 561 episodes now that after we recorded because of our relationship, like he gave me really critical feedback and it was feedback that I took to heart and brought with me as I continued on my journey, having these conversations, you know, podcasting is a very different medium than the traditional journalism that I had been doing. It's different when things are conversation between two people that aren't recorded. And so for me, for so many years, I was interviewing people, but not worrying about 
the filler words and the ums and the likes. And so in that working with a new medium, I then learned a lot about myself, how I speak. And then those lessons really did help me beyond the hosting of the show, transitioning into doing more of the in-person hosted events, doing live shows, then transitioning into hosting keynotes and workshops. I've been able to truly take a lot of the lessons that I've learned in terms of how to speak more clearly and how to kind of work on that confidence to really speak up and own what it is that I have to say and bring that into other areas of my work. So yeah, I mean, this has been one long, long, long lesson and the lessons aren't stopping anytime soon. And I just feel so grateful that I'm learning these lessons, doing something that really does make me feel supercharged. And again, in purpose, on purpose. That's awesome. Um, And I I mean, so well said, I'm going to kind of ask you, are there any moments that you could look back on and laugh and say like, I can't believe that happened. Like, I'll give you an example. After episode two that I did over here, I had an anonymous guest mail me a new microphone. Just (laughs) the sound quality on episode two was, I mean, was there ever an episode maybe where you had to re-record or something like that you kind of went through uh, that you were like, oh boy, this is going to be a long path. Yeah, that's funny. Uh, I recorded one of the first episodes in a WeWork conference room and like just didn't notice at the time how echoey it sounded and got home and listened to it and knew that the audio was unusable. And so it was with Sarah Larson Levy of Y7. And I called Sarah and I was like, can we maybe redo this? And she said to me at the time, and it was such a laugh. She said, I literally thought you were going to tell me someone passed away by how worried you were to get onto the phone with me. So I just felt bad that I used her time and I didn't want to like disrespect it and make her give it to me again. But she was so kind and we did re-record. I had a microphone that died moments before I was supposed to record with GT Dave of GT's Kombucha. Mm-hmm. So we recorded just using the MacBook built-in microphone in a Los Angeles hotel room. God, I recorded inside Jillian's Jillian Michaels Malibu home. I still can't believe that I did that in a London hotel room with Dina Castor. I've just, I had a mouse run through my kitchen when I was recording with Matt Taylor of Tracksmith during the pandemic. Like so much has happened while recording this podcast, but all of it, uh, you know, it makes me who I am today. It's, it's perfect. It's perfect how those things work out and you can look back and kind of laugh at them. I want to ask you a little bit about your mantra. You know, what is it that you live by now? Um, as we kind of round things out, I want guests to, you know, really dig into your brain. And, you know, if there's one thing that you stand for, we talked about your purpose, but if there's anything that you stand for that you want to make sure that um, everyone in your community knows is how you live your day-to-day life. Is there anything that you can can kind of break down for us? Yeah. I mean, my family mantra and the one that I take with me every day is do good and good can look different on each and every single day. So really it's just doing the best you can with what you have and coming to any scenario with pure and clear intention and knowing your values. My word that I'm choosing to move into 2023 with is great. I've grown up 
being so focused on doing good that I think sometimes it can be easy to accept good when you're seeking great. And so my choice for 2023 is to do good and be great and embrace what great can look like for me as I move forward. Are there any big projects on the horizon that uh, listeners should be on the lookout for? I know you had mentioned your workshops and I had meant to give you a quick plug there. I attended your social media workshop. I don't remember, maybe during the pandemic you had mm-hmm. done it. Um, and I still have your folder in my inbox. I don't keep many things in my inbox, but I still <laughs> keep that folder in my inbox starred for reference. So highly recommend Emily's workshops, but anything on the horizon that listeners should be uh, looking out for? Yeah, there's a slew of workshops that you can check out on demand on hurdle.us slash shop. And they're everything from social media, as you mentioned, to intro to freelance writing, to things that are a little bit more personal, like how to find your power alone. As I mentioned, I'm completing this certified professional coach course that I feel really excited to utilize as I continue on both in my conversations and with workshops moving forward. So kind of stay tuned to see how that manifests. I have some exciting work in the mix coming up that's going to take me to some fun places in 2023. So I can't really speak on that too much just yet, but know that every day I'm thinking about how I can, again, help people on their own individual wellness journeys and trying to connect with brands that can help me execute on that mission uh, even more so. So fun things in the pipeline, but nothing too much I can tease just yet. All right. Fair enough. Well, for everybody out there, Please look up Emily. You know, the cool thing about Emily is, although she's built Hurdle from scratch, and like we said, we have now broken over 7 million downloads, she is the most down to earth, just kind of real, transparent, you know, what you see is what you get kind of person. And I am incredibly grateful, Emily, that you came on board today. I'm incredibly grateful that you've just continued to be a part of my sphere. And I see that this episode is just everything coming full circle. So thank you so much for joining today. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Thank you for listening today. If you enjoyed this episode of the Mile 40 Podcast, go ahead, subscribe, leave a review, and share the word. Thank you for being a part of the Mile 40 family. And let's unite in showing the world that comebacks are always greater than setbacks.